You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. I want to invite you now, as is our custom, to open the Bible. We're going to open the Bible together to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to finish that chapter today. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, then I would encourage you, you if, even if you don't have a device that'll get you to one, there's a, a paperback Bible that's actually under the seat in front of you, and I want to commend that to your use. Uh, it will be in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be afraid of the table of contents, and uh, I encourage you, even if you don't own a Bible, let that be our gift to you. Uh, if you know, know someone who doesn't own a Bible, let that be our gift even to them. And so for us, this is something as we open the Bible, we say regularly something amazing happens, that as we open the Bible, the, Bi- the Bible actually begins to open us as we expose, that is, or exposit might be the word we use, what's in this text. The Holy Spirit, in some powerful way, actually exposes that which is in us, applies deep grace in those areas. So as a church, we've been walking through the book of the Bible, experiencing just that, uh, known as Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels, that is literally good news of the person and work of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And, And we find ourselves in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in the most famous recorded speech ever, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so famous even there are quotes that you'll see that kind, of, that kind of linger around and people will use them even if they're not Christian. And so this is one of the most famous texts of Scripture. In that sense, there's been most analyzed, maybe more than any other text. And, and we're kind of jumping in this lineage or this history that, that, has, that has been passed on, this great wisdom from this magnificent teacher about the way that he tells us of his kingdom, that is, what the kingdom of God looks like. What would it look like, per se, if God really were in control of everything? And as followers of Jesus, this is the kingdom in which we now live, the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom that is fulfilled in Christ and is coming to a reality when Jesus will return to remove everything that is broken, repair all things. And so this teaching is this first public teaching Matthew makes sure that we see it's a Sermon on the Mount that is meant to be an homage back to one of the most important stories in the history of the Bible, namely that when God had delivered his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, one of the first things they did is they came to a mount where one of their leaders, that is Moses, came off of the mount and presented and gave them God's word. And so also we're meant to hear the echoes of Jesus on a mount speaking a new life-giving and eternal word to his people. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, but spend the majority of our time in verse 25, all the way through verse 34 in the Gospel of Matthew. So beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great! is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, 
I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will, you, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what, what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I pray that God would add illumination and blessing to the reading of his word today. I pray that it would become more than ink on a page with the very words of encouragement, even especially for those who are deeply anxious in our own hearts. What we find here are four succinct commands. Now, I'll walk through them as I saw last week, as I said last week, asking them probably as questions, but Jesus has a little more power and authority than I do, so he just says them as commands, four commands. Command number one is in verse 25, do not worry about your life food and drink and clothing. And he gives us several reasons. Command number two is in verse 31. Don't worry asking what we will eat or drink or wear. And he gives a couple of reasons for that. Command number three is in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, that is God's righteousness. And he gives a result and reason for that. And the fourth and final command is in the last couple of verses there, verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow. So he gives four commands to wrap up this section that, as he's been telling us, is a picture of what righteousness and right living is in our generosity, in our self-sacrifice, even in our prayer, and in this case, in what we treasure, as we saw last week, and in this case, what we believe about the future. The word therefore in verse 25 is one of the most powerful words. That is, it kind of calls back everything we saw last week. Namely, that what we treasure reveals something about our heart. What we treasure dictates our sense of self. And, and what we treasure will, will have influence over everything that we do think or say. And so he gives us a picture of what it means to treasure that which is eternal versus that which is fleeting or earthly. And the, the way he illustrates it is that the way that we can do this often blinds us, as we just read. Like we, it causes us to see things rightly or wrongly based on what we treasure. But even more powerfully, what we treasure becomes what masters us. And you can't have more than one master. 
So the therefore is saying all that he's encouraged, all these four commands that he gives us to not be anxious three different times and to seek an, earth, an unearthly, otherworldly kingdom are predicated upon what he, has showed with, what he showed to us last week. So think of what the premise he kind of gave us this last week is this. Therefore, right, don't have anxiety. Treasuring earthly things will always cause sinful anxiety. That's what the therefore is. If you treasure earthly things, ultimately, you're always going to be worried about the, did you see here that, the, the, the rust that will deteriorate it, the moth or the thief that will make it go away or ruin. And so also, since that's the case, the anxieties that we feel or experience in our own lives are most often a result of treasuring earthly things the most putting our hope and trust, banking on things that have no ability to give you lasting hope, banking on things that, if we're really honest with one another, will in a generation or less be at the middle of a landfill somewhere. And so if you put your hope in those kinds of things, well, then expect to have the kind of experience you would have at a landfill. Now, that is not to say that all worry or concern is sinful. In fact, not all worry is created equal. Not all anxiety, not all concern is created equal. And so while last week we saw that the impetus to treasure eternal things includes the fact that these earthly treasures just aren't really sufficient, this week we see that you shouldn't trust in earthly security through worry or anxiety, because they also fail to actually deliver on their promises. Worrying about things that you have no control over is a failing endeavor. And Jesus says pretty, you know, in many ways, rhetorically, like, is that actually going to help you? Is that actually going to make your life longer? Is worrying about the length of your life actually going to make it longer? And physiologically, I know some of you in the medical field would, no, actually it makes, it, that, will, that, will, it, that will accelerate the shortness of your life. So I want to be careful, I'll say more at this, about this as we conclude, but I want to be careful because not all anxiety is created equal. This is a multifaceted topic. It might be fair to say this fear or this worry has psychological components, components that are even physical or physiological. There are emotional dynamics, a way to, to describe worry in emotional terms, but there's also a way to describe anxiety, fear, and worry in existential or philosophical, and in this case, even spiritual terms. Now, this is true of all sin, right? This is true of all of the ways in which we rebel against God in our earthly bodies, have emotional, physical right? Physiological, but also existential, philosophical, and spiritual, even eternal effects. But this is a particularly delicate subject. It would be my contention that if there is kind of a, if there is, I don't know, like a, an emotion or a disposition that unites all of humanity, certainly Western humanity right now, I would say it's anxiety. I would say it is, it is walking around with this, uh, like the, I think the continental philosophers called it angst, right? It's just walking around with this kind of the sense that like something's not right, something's not as good as it should be, 
and we don't really know what to do with it. Now, how you experience that, how that affects you, will vary from person to person. Not all anxiety, then, if you think of it this way, is sinful. But all anxiety, hear me clearly, is a temptation to not trust God. So when I talk about anxiety or worry, you might immediately think of a physical, a physiological, or emotional, much less spiritual or existential kind of description. And, and I want to say to you, even if, even if maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're suffering even right now with a chronic anxiety, I want, I want to encourage you, like, not all anxiety is created equal. Not all anxiety is sin. Not all worry is sin. There's a way that we can have a healthy concern. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Paul speaking to this church says, apart from the other things, there is this daily pressure on me. That literally, that word is concern. There's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety, that same word, for all the churches. That is the churches that he helped plant and was caring for. Right? So is, is Paul in sin here? Is, is, Paul, is Paul in disobedience to Jesus' command and, and that he is worried for the people that he loves and cares for deeply? No. Not all anxiety is created equal. His was, a, in this sense, a, a deep and genuine concern for the people he loved. But I would say the same thing is true for him as well. While that concern and anxiety and worry may not be sinful, it is certainly an invitation to be tempted to not trust God. There is a way even Paul can worry and care about the people that he cares about that has nothing to do with them and their well-being and has everything to do with, them, with him and his own mistrust. 1 Corinthians 7 says it this way, I want you to be free from anxieties. This is really a profound, again, same word, a profound illustration for, especially for if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm really worried and I'm anxious and lonely and I should just get married and getting married would solve all my anxieties. Well, any married person in the room would think that's really silly, but Paul gives us a little preface. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. I want you to be free from that. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. That is, he's concerned about the right things how to please the Lord. But, married men, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, that is with respect to whether or not you should or should not get married, but instead to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to what? To the Lord. Now he speaks pretty bluntly, doesn't he? Now, directly to those who might think, oh, my anxiety will go away, my worries will go away when I'm married, Paul says, no, that's not the case. He gives kind of two confrontations here, doesn't he? First, he's like, hey, single people, unmarried people, praise God for you. You have a less divided attention. Now, I would contend, I don't know that that's really true. I would challenge you to make that true. But he says that your solution then isn't to take on more worldly responsibility, namely even in marriage, something that is good and commended. Even it's a picture of the gospel, Paul tells, tells us later. But he says, beware those can immediately, even good things like marriage, even a spouse, a good thing, can draw our attention to, did you hear what he say? Worldly things. 
It can divide our attention away from devotion to the Lord. So again, not, anxiety, not all anxiety and worry is created equal. Later in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says again, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, or, or near, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And he's speaking as an analogy of the church. People, despite how we might see them, are an indispensable, they're indispensable members of a spiritual family in a local church, which our more presentable parts do not require. That is modesty. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, speaking of the local church, but instead that the members may have the same, and there's that word, that word concern. He says here that they would care for one another. God has made us different and unique such that we would have a care for one another. We would have a concern. Not all concerns and cares and worries are created equal. But all of those concerns, all of those anxieties that you and I carry around can be a temptation to trust in things that will not last, trust in things that do not deliver. So I want to walk through, I think, a, a couple of ways to that stand out to me, to, that there are principles for you and I to be encouraged by, regardless of how the word anxiety comes across to you, right? Because for many of you, even just reading that multiple times, someone saying, don't be anxious, it like spiked your anxiety level, right? Even, even just saying like, hey, don't be anxious. It's, whew, you're already like, <laughs> right? And, and already your blood pressure is going up. Now, in one, one sense, I want you to, to see the illustration of what we believe the law actually functions, how the, how the law of God functions. Often, it provokes the very thing that it means to bless or to offer healing, right? The minute you say, don't do a thing, don't look down, you're like, you show your human nature. You're like, well, I wasn't until you said it, right? So even now, I'm like, don't be anxious. Even then, you're, there's probably something in you that are like, well, I can't possibly do that, and your anxiety goes up. So however you hear this, however you, like, when you hear Jesus commanding multiple times to not have anxiety, I think there's one of a few ways you're likely going to hear it. You'll either hear that as a, a burden that you're meant to carry, or you'll hear it in faith as a privilege and grace that God means to give. That is that when you hear a way of being that's free from anxiety, you will either hear that as like, a, well, I can't possibly do that. Or like we've seen for the rest of this, the first two chapters on this sermon, you'll be like, I'm so glad that God's going to bring that about. So the fact is this, we do not want to be dependent upon God. We do not want to trust God. That's our that's a story of humanity. And we saw last week how riches, treasures, wealth, things that we value can distract us from dependence upon and grace and life and delight in God. But in some sense, this might be the other side of the coin. Maybe for people, if, if, if last week was for people who treasure things of this earth by hoarding them, the ways that we're... You know, you might think, well, I don't have anything to hoard. No problem. Maybe the other side of the coin here is for those of us who worry whether or not we will have anything to hoard. 
Maybe the other side of the coin that says that they, you know, if last week was a, a, an encouragement not to trust in earthly things such that you hoard them, in this case, it's like don't trust in earthly things such that you don't trust that God will provide them. But last week we saw something pretty profound, and it echoes a truth throughout the, all of the scripture that Jesus points out here. That no matter what your circumstance, you are tempted to rebel against God and trust in yourself. No, we do not want to trust. We don't want to live dependent lives trusting God. And the way we know the very first story of humanity was the, the two wealthiest people in the entire world. The two wealthiest people that had more than anyone will ever had. Literally, they had everything. Everything God gave them. You want all yours. You can have it. Do whatever you want to with it. I'm going to be right here with you. And what was their first response to having everything they wanted? Everything that anybody could ask for. To say, I want more. Because the one thing I don't want is to be subject to you. I want to be my own king. And rather than being stewards over what God had entrusted to them, they wanted to, make, they wanted to be like God. And so also, Jesus says here that if you don't realize that there is a good heavenly Father who provides and cares for things to which you are to live in constant dependence and find delight in Him on a daily basis, then you will fall prey to treasuring earthly things, trying to get in the world what God means to give you for eternity. After all, just a few verses ago, remember how Jesus asked us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven. Remember that? Give us this year all of our annual expenses. Give us this decade a great return on our investments. Give in my lifetime a healthy retirement, right? He doesn't say that. He says, you, you want to pray rightly. You say, give us this day. Give us this day what we need. God, let us live in dependence because our natural inclination is to, not, is to throw that off. And the result is that we're shocked. I mean, we're, really, we're shocked when things fail. When we throw off God's provision in a daily way, we're shocked when the things that we do trust in don't work out. And when it strikes, we're shocked as though, like, I can't believe I didn't have control over all things, right? I can't believe that I wasn't able to orchestrate all of the things to work out as I wanted them. So, maybe one way to put it is this, that the essence of worry can be seen in two ways. One is the essence of worry is taking the place of God, taking God's seat on the throne, trying to be our own Lord and Savior, trying to build our own self-salvation strategies. So he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. And what's the question he poses? Is not life more than that? So the reason for the first command he gives is that there is something better. There is what we see and what we tend to grasp on is less than what God means to grant us. So think of it this way. Anxiety then is considering the wrong things. Let me explain that. It says, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. That word, that word is, is, is deeper than just, the, just the, the gazing upon or visualizing, right? He's not just saying the really happy people are bird watchers, although there might be a strong case made here right? If you're like, hey, you're freaking out. You know what you should do? 
get some binoculars and go watch some birds. There's a, there's a living, like every day you're meant to go like, oh, like I'm freaking out. Tweet, tweet. Oh, okay. I remember that. Now that's hard because in the winter, that's not a sound we hear very often, right? But one of the aspects of anxiety is that we consider or look upon the wrong things. We gaze upon them wrongly. And what does he say? He appeals to something, namely the sovereignty or what we call the providence of God. Look at the birds. It says this, he's saying like, look at these lazy birds, right? They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. They're really, they're re- they, don't, they don't seem to plan for the future very well. And yet what happens? Verse 26 says, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, consider, look around you and see how God rules the universe. Look around you and see how God reigns over all things. And so one of the ways that we can see the essence of worry is simply when we think we're supposed to be on the throne of the world, we're supposed to redeem and restore all things rather than God. One of my favorite quotes I heard from uh, Martin Luther uh, leading a, a movement in the Protestant Reformation centuries ago, uh, shared with Philip Melanchthon, who was evidently worried about the outcome of these events and even you know, the threat upon their own lives. And he just simply said, let Philip cease to rule the world. That's what he told his friend, told Philip, his friend, speaking to him in the third person, let Philip cease to rule the world. I don't know how helpful that is for you, but that is helpful for me, right? Regularly, I need the Lord and friends to be like, let, let Jonathan cease to rule the world. Let's stop that. Let's just quit that. And so the first thing he gives us is a way of considering things that takes into account God's lordship and sovereignty and providence. God is in power. Not fate, not karma. God is in power. And we are stewards over what God has entrusted to us. But God ultimately is sovereign over these things. And if God loves and values birds who have no real value in our world, right? I mean, just just think, like, when's the last time you wept over the death of a bird? When's the last time you hit a bird on the highway or saw a dead bird on the, like, and, like, and wept? Right? Like even, this is South Dakota. Drive across the middle of the state. Hit a pheasant. Blow your headlight out. When's the last time you, you wept over the bird more than the headlight? Like, oh, God, can't. And so if God cares for that bird, then Frankie, you, you love your headlight more than, right? If God cares for that bird, he says then, how much more does God care for you? If God sovereignly reigns over the universe in such a way that even birds are considered, even birds are known. So this is in our family, we, we started this when we were young, that when you see a dead bird, you stop and we say, Matthew and Luke tell the story a little bit different, but like in, in this sense, like... Um, Elsewhere, Jesus says that when you see the bird, you're you're to be reminded that God knows every bird that falls to the ground, and therefore he knows every hair on your head. And so every time you see a dead bird, you're meant to stop, as he says here, consider and realize God knows every hair on your head. I mean, you don't care about that bird. I've never seen anyone like, ah, I brought my shovel, I'm going to dig a grave and say some words. You don't do that, you just walk on. But if God cares about that bird, then it serves as a reminder for us to consider, to gaze upon the lordship, of the, the lordship of God over all things, even how much he loves and cares for you. So, anxiety, certainly. One of the things that will be fueling your anxiety is considering the wrong things. Do you look at the bird and move on? 
Do you look at the things in the world that just work and move on carelessly, or do you consider them? Do you cons- do you, is it possible that they are pointing to something bigger and greater? Because here's what he's telling you. If you don't, if you don't consider these things, then a sinful anxiety is in your future. If you, if you don't consider the, the, the ways in which God has ruled the universe, that, it, that human beings can thrive on this planet, then you won't see how, you won't see the providence of God. That is literally the way that God provides for us. And Jesus' encouragement is fill in the blank with your name, but hey, let Philip cease to, be, let Philip cease to rule the world. The second thing, I think, if, if anxiety is, is considering the wrong things, the second thing we see is anxiety is pursuing the wrong things. So, he says, consider, again, little lilies, and consider how God has cared for them. And then, in light of that, once you've considered this, pursue things rightly. And what's the, the, the third command he gives? Seek then, verse 33, first the kingdom of God. Seek first what God means to do in the world. And here's, here's the hard part. Remember I told you one of the essences of anxiety is seeing yourself on the throne. And for many of you, fighting against anxiety and worry, and I, and I mean, this, this is important because you're, I'll say in just a minute a little more, but like you might be worried about genuinely worrisome things. That's what it means to live in a sinful, broken, and fallen world. But there's a difference between seeing them and trusting that God will provide versus seeing them and knowing that they're out of your control, and something bad is going to happen. So for many of you, one of the best things you can do is dethrone yourself or whatever else is on that throne in your life. Consider that the Lord is over these things, but then the Lord has a kingdom and a righteousness that he offers to us. He offers it to us freely in Christ. So the first thing is that we consider the right things, such that we are freed from earthly, sinful worry and anxiety. And the second thing is we pursue the right things. We pursue the the kingship that God has demonstrated for us. Seek it first, and these other things, he says, will start to fall into place. Anxiety is considering the wrong things, and anxiety is pursuing the wrong things. I think Paul says it best here in Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, he says, Then what then shall we say to these things? Is God, if God is for us, who could be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear? It sounds similar to what Jesus is saying, right? When you see the, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, all the other things start to fall into place. And here's the hard part. That's including if you never get them. That's including if it never turns out like you want. But when you see God's kingdom and his kindness and his righteousness and realize that if, if God loves and cares for his people and provides for them such that he would give his own son, why on earth would he stop or, or allow his will for your life to be, to be hijacked by what you eat or wear or drink? God has purchased your future and you can trust him with it. Two things I want you to see here. You see the providence of God as, an, as a weapon to combat anxiety, and you see the love of God as a weapon to combat anxiety. Did you hear that? 
it wasn't only that God is sovereign and provides for his birds and, and critters, right? This is close to home for me right now. Every, like all the birds in my neighborhood are trying to build something around my house. And, and this whole week I've been like tearing down nests going like, okay, Lord, I hope. <laughs> Don't worry, he's going to take care of you. you know, whoosh, right? So it's one thing to see the sovereignty of God over these birds. It's another thing to see the love of God. Because he doesn't just say that he's going to provide for them because he's, he's sovereign and provides for everything. He's also doing this because he loves them. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Like, how much more then will he love you? If he clothes the lilies this much, and they're going to be dead, if he cares for the grass and it's going to be burned, then how much more is he going to clothe you? So I want you to see those as two weapons against fear and anxiety in this world. And I want you to wield them carefully. For some of you, the way that you can be encouraged with the fears you have is that you hear and savor and think upon, consider and meditate upon the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. Be reminded of his faithfulness. He's allowed you to come this far. God has provided for, God has cared for you. But maybe for some of you who are more, maybe you're up in your head more, in the more intellectual type, that's not a problem for you. You're like, amen, the sovereignty of God. And maybe what you need to do is you need to, you need to meditate upon and think upon, did you hear what it's, the love of God. Now, this is important for me because I have no problem intellectualizing my worry. I'm like, well, God's going to take care of it. Very cold-heartedly, right? And that, that's not very helpful for anybody who else is experiencing anxiety. Right? And, and I would just encourage you, this is, this is a weapon to fight anxiety, not to hit your friends with, right? Like your anxious, fearful friend, you're like, God's going to take care of everything. Great, jerk, right? And so these are weapons against anxiety, and you're going to have to wield them carefully. For some of you, you need to be reminded of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God over all things. And for some of you, you need to be reminded of the love of God, the care of God for his people. Because notice they're both here. It's not either or. It's both. God is both all-powerful and, in this sense, omnibenevolent. He loves in a way that's beyond what we can imagine. And when we begin to consider this, when we begin to be changed by this and pursue this, it changes everything. Let me wrap up with two kind of reflections here. One of, uh, one of my uh, kind of two main concerns I've, uh, as I've thought about like helping give some instruction or encouragement through this. Um, the first one is taking in light of all that's happening in the world. I tried to think specifically like, what if I were giving this sermon, preaching on this text, to Christians in Ukraine, hiding from bombardment, right? There's a sense in which, like, this might seem ineffectual, right? Like, ooh, you know, that's, are you sure? And yet, here's, here's what I've tried to think through this, as I would encourage you, and I would encourage Christians in Ukraine. There is a God that is sovereign over all things, and there is nothing that will thwart his plan to bless you and care for you in Christ regardless of the circumstances. They may and certainly will not turn out like you wish. And yet, here's what I can tell you. There's a good father. There's a good father. And he will never leave his children. But the second challenge here is just what I have no idea. I mean, I, can't, I have no idea the anxieties and worries and fears that you bring into this place this morning. I can't even begin to fathom. Because some of you have fears and anxieties that are grounded in real-life experience, real tragedy that you've gone through. 
But notice here, he speaks to all of us to say that while the cause for anxiety, namely the sinful and broken and fallen circumstances of the world, will be relentless, so too will God's providence and care for his children. And that even includes when the things that we're worried about or most fear happen. Such that you can hear Joseph in the end of Genesis saying that what you meant, he says to his brothers who betrayed him and tried to kill him, what you meant for evil, the Lord meant for good and the salvation of many lives. Such that Paul in Romans 28 can say that all things work together for good. For them that love God and are called according to not ours, but his purposes. So I can't imagine, again, the multifaceted fear and anxiety you feel, physical, physiological, emotional, and existential. But here I can tell you, if, if the Lord has promised to deliver us from our deepest and ultimate fears, then we can war against them by considering the goodness and greatness of God and weighing His love and care that He demonstrates us by giving His kingdom to us in Christ. So practically, I don't mind being controversial here. I want you to war against the kind of anxiety that robs us of joy and leads us into sinful doubt, a mistrust of God. And that's true whether, maybe, maybe for you, anxiety is chronic. Maybe, maybe you're, right now you're, you're like a, a tool against the enemy. I would say use community. Have community help decide how you can war against anxiety, physical, emotional, you name it. Surround yourself with godly people, godly, godly people who love Jesus, godly doctors who, if they prescribe you anti, anti-anxiety medication, I don't mind saying something controversial here, the greatest anti-anxiety medication in the world might help you with your physical s- symptoms, but it won't ultimately deliver you from our deepest fears and longings. And that's true even I can say that. Like, these are common graces that you and I can use to war against the kinds of things that rob us of trusting and delighting in the Lord. I'm experiencing one right now, right? I'm on, I'm on nasal spray and, and, and I almost said anxiety. Probably that too. Allergy medication. And, and so that allergy medication is a common grace, thank God, that helps my body fight off attacks, right? Excellent. I love it. Because otherwise I get chronic sinus infections and I lose my voice and a pastor who can't talk is one of the useless, most useless things in the world, right? But if for a minute I thought that that allergy medication that helps my body fight off attacks helped my spirit fight off spiritual and demonic attacks, we'd have a problem, wouldn't I? Right? Even, even, even the, the best doctor isn't going to be like, hey, this is going to help save your soul. Take it, Right? Hey, this is an anti-anxiety drug. This is going to deliver you from all your deepest fears. I know there's some, there are some pharmacists in the room, and I don't think any of them have actually said that, right? This will deliver you from all your problems. So, friend, with wisdom, let's war against fear and anxiety. With every tool at our disposal, with everything we can possibly do, knowing that the ultimate enemy are the cares of this world that would rob us of trusting and delighting in the Lord. And I will end with this. As we war against this, practically, this is an interesting day to speak on this because moms, in many ways, you're encouraged to do this. You're encouraged to worry about the future. You're encouraged to be the one that worries and cares for children in a way that I would encourage you, like, even become sinful. And so moms, I'm so grateful for a mom that could see the threats in front of me 
But on the other hand, like, this is an invitation for those of us who worry and are concerned about the future to trust God more and experience more delight now. To have confidence in the middle of a world that's falling apart. To have a, an otherworldly peace in the midst of everything that's happening. After all, if you want to be the most controversial culture warrior that exists right now, just be the one person that's not freaking out. Can you imagine how offensive that would be? At the, at the volume of outrage, to be the one person that's like, yeah, that's terrible. Good thing God is loving and sovereign over all of those. Like, can, you, can you hear it? I mean, if you really want to be countercultural and win a culture war, just be the one person that's not outraged. Be the one person who, like, next time someone tells you, this is the biggest threat on blah, 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 I go like, hey, man, have you considered the lilies today? Have you, I mean, have you looked at the lilies today? They're like, rah, rah, rah. I know, you should look at the lilies today. Now, here's where I think this leaves us. I want to encourage you, for those of you who are particularly burdened about worry about what's going to happen next, maybe for you, I want to offer a special comfort. That is, that if your future is not secure, if your future is uncertain, then I want you to know worry and anxiety is a good and logical response. If your future is not secure, if, if your future is uncertain, if who knows what's going to happen to you, if your future is up in the air, then I want to encourage you, your, your anxiety and worry and fear is actually a reasonable and rational response. right? If your future is uncertain, if who knows what's going to happen, then I don't know why you're here. You should be freaking out somewhere. Like this is, if your future is uncertain, then anxiety and fear and worry is the right and good response. It's just reasonable. It's reasonable because the future is out of your hands. There's nothing you can do. And by all means, store up as much treasure as you can to get you through. You should be fearful. There's awful things coming for you. If, you, if your future is uncertain, then here's what you need to know. That thing that, that's like ailing you, eventually one of them is going to get you and it's going to kill you. And you will die. And they will bury you. But, friend, we have a good and loving Father who has sent His Son to secure for us a good and better future. Our future, because of Christ, is secure. I, we now have a Father that loves us, that cares for us, that cares for the lilies, for the birds, and even more for His children. And He will carry you through. Friend, if, 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 this, is, if this world is all there is, you should be freaking out. But I have good news for you. John, and, John tells us that the words of Jesus are this. He says, I've told you these things in order that you may have peace, because in the world you will certainly have trouble or tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We sang about it just a moment ago. Jesus from the cross, one of his last words, John 19. He looks across the world and says, it is finished. If your future is not secure, 
then friend, you should be afraid. But Christian, brother and sister, if you have seen what Jesus has done for you, if you've heard his promise that it is finished, if you have heard his promise that the world is now overcome and it has no power over you, then friend, we have cause for peace and joy even right now in the midst of the crazy. Because Jesus has overcome the world, and he's overcome all the trouble, all the sin, and all the death that comes with it, we can trust him with our whole lives. Now, this won't remove all your questions. And I bet your life won't even turn out like you want it. But friend, I have good news. Death, sin, the grave, and hell won't get the last word over you. Your future is secure. The perfect life, the atoning death that completed this work and the vindicating resurrection is evidence for you and I. We can make it through the day. We can trust the Father to love us and care for us even more than the birds, more than the grass. And he sent his son to prove it. If you're in this room, maybe you're not a Christian. This sounds just crazy and superstitious. I want to ask you then, I I at least want to just ask you like two questions. What are you worrying about? What are the things you're the most anxious about? And how do you deal with it? Because for us, in Christ, we now have a, a promise of a loving father who provides and cares for his children and who won't leave them but instead we'll care for them and be with them even to the end. Let's thank God for that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you have entrusted yourself to the Father in impossible circumstances. Thank you that you have perfectly trusted the Father where we struggle to trust God at all. God, we are with these people that you were speaking to. We are the people of little faith. God, would you allow us now two things to consider, to gaze upon what you have done for us, that we would see the providence and sovereignty of God at the cross, and we would see the love and compassion of God at the cross. If there's some in this room that seems like... That just seems like a farce. That just seems like impossible to believe. My, even today, would you begin to crack open their imagination? They would consider the possibility that there is a healing power. There is the ability to face our anxieties, trusting that there is a God who will deliver us through them. God, for many in this room, we come with different fears and worries and burdens. God, I can't even imagine what those are. Right now, would you speak comfort to those people? Would you remind them that you sent your son as a fulfillment, that you would not leave them or forsake them? God, we come with real crisis, real tragedy, real worry. Help us to trust you in the midst of that. Would you comfort those in this morning who have deep fears, Bring healing to the troubled. Bring peace to the sufferer. Jesus, thank you that you have promised a kingdom that will give us everything we need. Help us to seek it. Help us by faith to receive all that you've promised for us in this kingdom, all that we will inherit in this kingdom, all that we will enjoy and delight in in this kingdom. Thank you that you bring it to us through your life, your death, and resurrection. Allow us to receive it by faith and respond in rejoicing and worship. It's in your name we ask this. Amen.